2021 got off to a very strong start for the big six Canadian banks. And so there is still a sufficient COVID-19 related economic uncertainties on the horizon, but we're comforted by the fact that the banks are well reserved. Welcome to Deep Dive, a special episode of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these episodes, we put BMO GAM's investment strategies under the microscope so you can see how they work for your clients and your practice. Today, host Dan Stanley talks to three experts about the first quarter earnings results of Canadian banks, starting with Saurabh Movahedi from BMO Capital Markets and later Ashley Busson and Chris Heeks from BMO Global Asset Management. Together, our experts provide context for where the big six are today, where they're headed in Q2, and which ETF strategies offer the best risk-adjusted exposure. Before we hear from our experts, please remember to subscribe to this podcast and bookmark bmoetfs.ca in your browser. Welcome to the second episode of our Deep Dive series on Canadian bank quarterly earnings. Today, we're covering the first quarter 2021 bank earnings announcements, and we will return each quarter on this channel to update you on the latest financial results. My name is Daniel Stanley. I'm an ETF specialist at BMO Exchange Traded Funds. I'm joined today by my colleagues, Chris Heeks, Portfolio Manager for all of BMO's equity and multi-asset ETFs, Sorab Mobahedi, Managing Director, Financials Research at BMO Capital Markets, and Ashley Busson, VP and Research Analyst at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, we're going to cover the recent bank earnings announcements and what they mean for investors and the Canadian economy, as well as looking at different ETF strategies that give you exposure to the Canadian banks. So without further ado, Chris, Sorab, and Ashley, thank you for taking the time to join me. Let's get started. Sorab, I want to talk to you. How would you summarize Q1 results for the Canadian banks? Hey, thanks, Daniel. Uh, Morning, everyone. Uh, Look, fiscal 2021 got off to a very strong start for the big six Canadian banks. They all reported uh, results above expectations, and their year-over-year earnings growth was up uh, 13% uh, for the industry. Low credit costs uh, were the main driver, uh, but also better trading results contributed to these beats and uh, year-over-year expectations. You know, by business, their fee-based revenues, stuff like capital markets, wealth management, once again delivered very strong results and uh, were good offsets to the general, I'll call pandemic-induced slowdown in their spread-based segments, typically their domestic, personal, and commercial banks, as well as their international uh, PNC banks. Coming out of the first quarter, we revised our 2021 and 2022 earnings expectations higher for all of the banks. We increased our target prices. We even upgraded uh, a couple of the banks so that they have three banks uh, rated as outperform. You know, as as we had expected, we are now past the peak credit provisioning cycle for the banks. Uh, The peak uh, looks to have been around the Q2, Q3 of last year. And so there is still sufficient COVID-19-related economic uncertainties on the horizon, but we're comforted by the fact that the banks are well-reserved. We believe this quarter's PCL's performance is the start of something good as opposed to just a blip. And then historically, 
what I would say is that in the post-peak PCL phase of the cycle, what we have seen amongst the big six Canadian banks is a convergence from a evaluation perspective. Uh, and we measure this by looking at the difference between the forward PE multiple of the highest valued bank and the lowest valued bank. And so this suggests to us that in the next phase of the cycle, the premium valued banks such as Royal and TD may be a bit more vulnerable on a relative basis. So good set of results, favorable outlook, and um, dare I say somewhat pulled up towards the banking space coming out of uh, 2020 with a 12 to 18 month time horizon. Thanks, Sarah. Ashley, you know, the last year has been a real test on the global banking system. What have we learned about Canada's banking system looking back at the last 12 months? Thanks, Dan. The Canadian banks have undergone significant regulatory change since the Great Recession. In addition to heightened capital requirements, they also transitioned to IFRS 9 accounting in 2018. That results in them taking a forward-looking view on the charges they expect to absorb using economic forecast models. Up until the COVID-19 pandemic, there was some uncertainty about how these changes would impact the banks through the next cycle and inevitable recession. There were questions of whether these changes would be enough to protect our financial system through the next crisis, particularly in light of the heavy debt burdens that Canadians carry. Although the pandemic resulted in a very unique economic crisis that was both very sharp and very deep, albeit short, our financial system weathered the storm very effectively. Government stimulus and banks' deferral and relief programs have done an excellent job of supporting and ultimately bridging customers through this challenging period. Due to the bank's robust capital positions, they were able to take the provisions they needed in anticipation of a much deeper and longer-lasting recession. As a result of the pace of the recovery thus far, there is a good chance much of these provisions get released over upcoming quarters. Also, dividends have been well supported throughout, so much so that the sector is now sitting on significant excess capital and growing. At the onset of this crisis, there were questions swirling about the bank's dividend sustainability. However, once again, our financial system has proven its resiliency. This cycle in particular, though, the Canadian banks have proven themselves to be allies in progressing to the recovery. This partnership with government is a powerful force in sustaining a healthy economy. And the actions of banks during this time also helps solidify their brand and reputation. Thanks, Ashley. Chris, I wanna turn things over to you. How did BMO's bank-focused ETFs, specifically ZEB and ZWB, perform last quarter and as we moved into the earnings season? Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think, you know, they performed very well and kind of echo some of the, um, you know, positive comments of, of Ashley and Sorab. If you look at the last three months, uh, ZEB, which is, you know, as you know, our equally weighted bank CTF was up 15%. ZWB, the cover call iteration, uh, was up 12%. Uh, if you look at a one-year basis, they're around 60% because now a one-year window kind of excludes the worst of the COVID-related uh, sell-off in early March last year. So, you know, I think when we talked uh, last on the podcast in the fall, you know, Canadian banks had still uh, yet to recover the lost ground versus the broad index. 
and now we we can safely see that we've um, you know not only recovered but uh, you know kind of pushed through. And uh, you know, as I recall, some of the things we were talking about on our last call um, was continued stimulus, you know, progress on vaccine rollouts, and I'd say. Um, you know, by and large, um, you know, we are getting those um, and continuing to get those. So, um, you know, largely that's been, you know, a tailwind for these two ETFs, you know, and I'd say as well our U.S. banks ETFs for that matter as well. You can go a little off topic, but uh, certainly investors have been um, very constructive on on the um on the ability of the Canadian banks to weather uh, these challenges and, you know, supported by stimulus and, and other kind of macro factors have been um, advantageous for these ETFs. Thanks, Chris. Um, actually, in Surab, there seems to be persistent concerns about valuations in the Canadian housing market. Talk to us a little bit about how these valuations impact our banks on a day-to-day basis. And Ashley, I want to start with you. Real estate activity has been very robust, to put it lightly, which is very much counter to what many people expected through this time at the onset. And there's increased dialogue circulating about whether we have stepped into speculative or bubble territory. This has been a longstanding issue, and recent activity could prompt additional regulation. However, rates may naturally cool the momentum and make more drastic measures unnecessary. More importantly, this is far more of a social and political issue than a banking issue. While mortgage loans represent about 42% of the Canadian bank's loan books, 15 of the 42 is insured, and the banks maintain healthy LTVs and have good data on the financial health of their customers. All things equal, the banks would likely prefer more balanced and sustainable growth in the housing market to minimize volatility and loan growth. However, this truly is more of a political and social dilemma. Thanks, Ashley. Surab, what about you? Yeah, look, I'll come at it from the bank's perspective. It's obviously a very important asset class. Uh, Collectively, their Canadian residential real estate lending, um, you know, accounted for about $1.4 trillion at the end of uh, Q1. Uh, It is a very low risk asset, both because of the insurance that Ashley mentioned and the secured nature of the lending uh, from a loan-to-value perspective when the assets are not insured. So when I look at uh, this $1.4 trillion, about 30% 30 of that is insured. It's insured by primarily a federally-owned entity, CMHC. And the remaining 70%, which is uninsured, you know, has had average LTVs embarrassingly low. Most recent quarter, 54% was about 55% a year earlier. So for the banks, uh, mortgages and uh, housing-related credit has been an important source of loan growth. So this quarter, industry-wide, mortgages is uh, up 8% a year over year. It's obviously a big driver of ROE, return on equity for the banks, given the low ROA uh, attached, sorry, given the low risk weighting attached to the the low risk profile. And obviously Canadian housing, as you say, is an ongoing attention grabber for bank investors, and we pay close attention to it as well. It's obviously a big part of the industry's balance sheet. But credit quality trends remain intact. 
and uh, quite candidly, you know, the shorting the Canadian banks on a Canadian housing thesis is likely to remain a widow maker. Uh, but truth be told, we have not really fielded uh, any concerning uh, inbound calls anyway on the part of uh, investors on the topic of housing, um, certainly not in the past year or so, with the focus being squarely on, uh, on COVID. You are listening to Deep Dive, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're looking for timely trade ideas to navigate the current market, we encourage you to tune in each Thursday for our weekly Views from the Desk episodes. You'll hear razor-sharp insights, commentary, and ETF strategies from our portfolio managers, as well as questions submitted directly from our audience of Canadian financial advisors. Chris, I want to move over to you because you alluded to this, and on our last podcast, you spoke about a potential reopening trade, and you you highlighted this. You know, globally, the vaccine rollout does seem to be picking up some steam. Talk to us a little bit about how this is is impacting ETFs like ZEB and ZWB. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again. Um, you know, we really saw you know, uh, the trend kind of emerged in, in early November, and that's when you got the first um, positive announcements from from Pfizer, you know, quickly followed by Moderna and AstraZeneca. You know, more companies have followed. So that really triggered kind of a, I would call it a factor shift in the market. And whereas we saw growth, and it was mostly large cap IT outperforming last year, um, a lot of cyclical, more cyclically, cyclically oriented sectors started to outperform. And banks certainly fit in that category. So, you know, as we mentioned, being underwater versus the broad index, you know, until that point, we were um, on the Canadian banks kind of underwater where where the broad index was was trading. But the vaccine rollout um, certainly created a lot of interest and enthusiasm in a, in a reopening trade and have um, also seen, you know, better than market returns from these more cyclically oriented sectors. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so we've already we've already been seeing it play out the last call it four to five months, um, and and it looks like we're continuing to see it play out. I think from the investor point of view, I think the the important question is is kind of decoding and get a sense of how long it can last. Um, certainly, there's there's an attractiveness to the reopening trade, um, and certain sectors have offered lucrative returns. Um, but 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 as investors, we always want to be mindful of risk, and we want to be mindful of when those winds um, can potentially change. I think two things can help here in regards to um, thinking about the Canadian banks. One is you know just thinking about the trends that have led to the the re- reopening trade already. Um, as you mentioned, Dan, the vaccination rollout is kind of it's kind of like at a, uh, you know second or third inning. There's a long way to go. So in terms of that trend, that's still going to play out. You know, as we mentioned before, we always expected it to be a bumpy road, and we probably continue that, uh, continue to expect somewhat of a bumpy road. You know, the Ontario uh, Hospital Association is warning of a third wave, um, but we are relatively constructive that towards the end of 2021, we're going to be in a much better place. So that trend's still in place. You know, it seems like the credit risks are, you know, under control uh, for the largest part. You know, in part supported by by um, stimulus and stimulus driven policy. So that's one thing. I think the trends are still in your favor and we didn't talk about interest rates, but I think that's been beneficial for the banks as well. Um, so the trends are still in place. And, and number two, I think the other thing you can think of with Canadian banks is, you know, even if you get 
get it wrong, quote unquote, they're still, you know, you don't get it too far wrong. So historically, they've just been great stewards of capital. Um, they're much more diversified businesses than, than they have been previously. And, and you know, Sora mentioned the, the trading revenues helping to support the banks um, during this very challenging year. So, um, you know, part of being great stewards of capital, I think, is not necessarily just delivering growth in favorable markets. You know, as we know, um, more risky or, or junk-like assets, anything can rally uh, when the tide is rising. But it's having those strong risk controls, remaining well-capitalized, um, you know, paying sustainable dividends that I think are are things that investors can, um, you know, potentially lean into when you're looking at ZEB or ZWB uh, with a cover call overlay. So, so I think, yeah, the two things I would think about in terms of positioning is just those trends still being in place and, um, and number two, relying on the historical track record of the banks that, that they've shown they've been able to just deliver through market cycles. Thanks, Chris. Sir, I want to come back to you because on our last podcast, you brought up the regulatory moratorium on buybacks and dividend increases that were put in place uh, back in March of 2020. Where's that money going? And do you have a sense of, of when those restrictions might be lifted? Well, um, look, um, it's, it's a year. It's been a year. I think the actions that the regulator took, you know, knowing what we know today, with the benefit of hindsight may very well be deemed kind of a bit of a belt and suspenders approach because um, I think few would have expected uh, a year on from a one in a hundred year wind that, uh, you know, the last year was that the Canadian banks would actually be sporting higher uh, regulatory capital levels. So the quick answer is uh, obviously they've had to, ensure that uh, the balance sheets remain intact. They've had to ensure that uh, money is flowing to the economy. They have, uh, uh, at the same time, though, stockpiled the capital. And so, you know, coming out of Q1, we estimate that they cumulatively would have had maybe about $45 billion of excess capital regulatory, uh, relative to regulatory minimum pre-COVID. Right, so the regulator kind of reduced their capital levels. That was part of the quid pro quo of uh, uh, not increasing dividends or doing buybacks because the regulator lowered the hurdle, if you will. But with uh, with the one year anniversary kind of coming up, given how well the system has stayed intact, we are certainly hopeful that the regulator will allow the big six to restart dividend increases and share buybacks. Uh, really sooner rather than later. As far as timing, it's hard to know uh, for sure, but like I noted, it is coming on to the one-year anniversary. You're starting to get some rumblings out of the U.S. regulator, for example, that perhaps um, uh, putting a moratorium on uh, dividend increases there may have been a bit of an overkill. So, you know, I think it's a matter of time, uh, but uh, once the regulatory restrictions are lifted, we expect the banks to all be in a position to have their cake and eat it too, as I'll say it. So it, both in terms of capital return, dividend increases, buybacks, but also probably uh, for some way it makes sense in pursuit of uh, inorganic capital deployment opportunities, M&A, if you will. So the money has not been wasted, 
It is not necessarily burning a hole in their pocket. And we believe it's just a matter of time before some of it will, will return to the shareholders through both uh, dividend increases and uh, more buybacks uh, and probably fund some inorganic growth opportunities as well. Thanks, Sarab. Ashley, what about you? What are your thoughts on this issue? I largely share Sorab's view. I mean, since the restrictions were put in place in March 2020, capital has been piling up on the Canadian bank's balance sheets, which is something that no one really could have expected. And assuming we go back to similar capital constraints as pre-pandemic, there's likely about $34 billion of excess capital that can be deployed into growth opportunities and returned to shareholders once OSFI gives the green light. OSFI, I believe, would like to see that there is a clear and visible path to the end of the pandemic and related lockdowns, in addition to ongoing progress in the economic recovery, before they allow banks to accelerate return of capital to shareholders. It's hard to say exactly when that would be, as Saurabh also mentioned. Uh, they also likely will move the domestic stability buffer back up to 200 basis points in June 2021 before they remove those restrictions. So it seems likely that we're looking at mid-2021 at the earliest and hopefully sometime later in this year. The banks are likely to take a measured approach, deploying capital towards a healthy balance of dividend increases, share buybacks, and towards growth opportunities. Dividend increases could easily be in the ballpark of the low double-digit range and buybacks in the neighborhood of 2 to 3% of shares outstanding, which could be pretty meaningful. So that could be an exciting catalyst for the banks this year or whenever we get that visibility that we need. Thanks very much, Ashley. And, and uh, for all three of you, uh, Chris, Ashley, Sarab, I want to thank you. As a reminder to the audience, you can get exposure to the Canadian banks via ZCN, ZEB, ZWB, and ZDV. All four ETFs trade actively on the TSX. If you have any questions, please visit our ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca for research, news, and insights. That's all for today. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us in mid-June for the next update on Canadian banks. Thank you to Sorab Movahedi, Ashley Busson, Chris Heeks, and Daniel Stanley for joining us on Deep Dive. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to tune in to our weekly Views from the Desk episodes available each Thursday morning in this same podcast series. And remember to bookmark the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.